This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. The mighty signs and wonders of the Spirit of God were done and continue to be done for the glory of God, not the glory of man. It's done in a way that it is supernaturally brought about. Because you know what? Building a program through natural means gives glory and honor to a man. But it's when the supernatural work and move of God that people look and say, that's nothing of man. That's a move of God. Are you willing to decrease so that God may increase in your life? Many believers like glory for themselves rather than giving it up to God. Pastor David will show you today how God still does signs and wonders in order to draw unbelievers to himself. Unfortunately, many believers think that when there is a work of God, it's because of their own efforts and strengths. If you've been given spiritual gifts, it is because of God's grace, not because of anything special about you or your efforts. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 19, with our continuing study entitled, Abounding in Hope. Verse 19, he says that it's by the power of the Spirit of God. And listen to what he says in verse 19. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. Beloved, you need to know, need to understand something here, that the mighty signs and wonders of the Spirit of God were done and continue to be done for the glory of God, not the glory of man. It's done in a way that it is supernaturally brought about. Because you know what? Building a program through natural means gives glory and honor to a man. But it's when the supernatural work and move of God that people look and say, that's nothing of man, that's a move of God. Calvary Chapel, when we began back in the late 60s, Pastor Chuck Smith, who was, again, the founding pastor of it, he came out of the four-square denomination. Four-square denomination was a Pentecostal, uh, charismatic denomination. And when they came in, he knew the power of the Holy Spirit. He was not afraid of allowing the Holy Spirit to move and work in the life of his church. And as he preached the word, faithfully preaching the word, not seeking after signs and wonders, but faithfully preaching the word and allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to the body there. Signs and wonders were taking place in that fellowship in phenomenal ways. People were healed instantaneously. People who had bondages of drugs or alcohol were released and freed from that. People with mental illnesses, God healed and restored. Supernaturally, God was working in that movement. And it was a powerful thing, and it was drawing the multitudes. Why did Calvary Chapel grow so fast, so quick? Not by a plan of man, but because supernaturally, God was doing something in them that man could never do. As time went on, on into the 70s, a group within Calvary Chapel began to focus more on the signs and the wonders. And they kind of 
seem to spread apart from, again, the focus of the need of teaching the Word in a continual and a consistent way. And that gave birth to what many know today as the Vineyard Movement. They were birthed out of Calvary Chapel. And Pastor Chuck says, you know what, if that's where you guys want to go, then bless you, go on, you're still our brothers and sisters. But again, that's, you're, you're putting more focus on something than what we feel it ought to be, that the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the working of the Holy Spirit is a natural outcome, again, of our lives being open. That's not what we're seeking, but God does it. And so what had happened at that point in time, and I kind of came into Calvary's at this point in time, was that there was this pendulum swing to the other side. To, in other words, separate ourselves from those that were focused on the signs and the wonders. Many kind of came to the point of saying, well, let's not even worry about the signs and the wonders. Let's be focused on the teaching of the Word of God and allow the Word of God to move and work in the lives and the hearts of the people. To a point that Calvary chapels, many of them, Suddenly, there was not a great move, an outpouring of the Spirit. There were no longer any miracles that were being shown. There was not times of allowing the Holy Spirit to minister in a particular way in the lives of the body itself. But you know what? This pastor's conference that I went on this last week or a couple of weeks ago, it was again an encouragement that the Holy Spirit is not dead. He is not finished with the church and in these last days more than anything else god wants to pour his spirit out upon his church and for many that are fearful of those things i believe it's because you do not trust god to be able to take care of things and if my god can only be controlled by what i understand and what i control then suddenly i've limited my god to my strength my abilities my confinements When we allow God to work and move according to his word, God is not a God of uh, disruption and disorder. God is a God of order. There is a reason and a purpose for these things. But at the same time, we cannot suddenly lock it up and say, we'll have none of that. If we want to be able to move in power and in might, then we need to be open to the work and to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, even, and listen to this, and you need to know it, even when it makes you individually uncomfortable, even when you yourself don't really understand or figure it out, if you look in the Word of God and the Word of God shows it and declares it, I can trust the Word of God. Beloved, that's where I believe that God would have us to do, is continually checking and balancing. The word says, test the spirits and see if they be from me or not. And that's what we need to do. But at the same time, we cannot put the Holy Spirit in a convenient little closet and say, only when we particularly need you will we unlock the door and allow you out and come and minister to us. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to work and move. And when he says, these mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about even to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. God was using those signs, those wonders, in a way of getting the word of God out. A supernatural way. If we move in the natural, we'll be nice and neat and tidy. When you move in the, in you, if you move in the supernatural... Sometimes it gets uncomfortable. Sometimes it gets to the point where we cannot explain. But when the power of God is working and moving in the lives of an individual, and you see lives changed, would you rather be comfortable, or would you rather see the power of God working and moving in the hearts and lives of people? Well, let's go on. In all of this, 
Paul clearly understands that there is a triunity of God, the trinity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the importance of all three of the Godhead working and moving in the life of the church. We cannot have the church without the knowledge of the sacrifice of Christ. We cannot move in the fullness of Christ without the fullness of the Holy Spirit working and moving in the life of the church. We need all three. We cannot suddenly say, we'll just take two out of three. Two out of three, that's, that's not bad. Yeah, it is. It's incomplete. We need all three. Paul says in verse 20, he says, And so, I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it's written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. And for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now, but now no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you if first I may enjoy your company for a while but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints for if please those of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem it pleased them indeed and they are their debtors for if the Gentiles had been partakers of their spiritual things their duty is also to minister to them in material things therefore when I have performed this and have sealed to them the fruit I shall go by way of you to Spain but I know that when I come to you I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Paul's heart and desire was to preach the gospel in new territories. Not to simply build where somebody else has brought the gospel. He says, no, I'm going to press on. I'm going to move on and I'm going to continue to press the borders, press, press the line of bringing the gospel to those who have never heard it, to those that don't have the hope, to, to those that don't understand what Jesus Christ did for them. And Paul, because of that, his life was poured out for that. Here he speaks also of bringing a gift from these Gentile churches back to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was under such great persecution during that time, the church literally was starving to death. People uh, who were believers, they had lost jobs, lost families, and these other churches from other areas, the Gentile churches, were now taking up offerings to come back and bless the Jewish background church. And so he said, man, I hope that they accept it. I hope that they receive it, this battle again of coming back and forth. Paul understood that the gospel had to spread out. It had to move beyond the comfort of, again, his own home. It had to get to the point where he was willing to leave his comfort, leave his stability, and reach out in the gospel. Paul's first missionary journey it took him over 1,200 miles. That's from here to about East Texas. 1,200 miles. A journey that uh, he and Barnabas took for in, in about a year and a half took that journey. As they went out and shared the gospel, began many churches during that time. 
on his second missionary journey, this time he and Silas, they went well over 3,400 miles. The distance from Bangor, Maine, on the north end, uh, northeast end of the United States to San Diego by car, and I checked it at MapQuest, is a little over 3,500 miles. I believe I got 35, uh, 3,580 miles from that. That distance there. Now, that's not bad if you got a nice car to travel in or if you've got uh, America West, well, United, uh, Southwest, uh, TWA, if you've got an airplane to jump in. But Paul didn't have any of that. All of his travels were either by foot or by sea. And when he got into sea travel, he didn't have a nice diesel engine ship that took him from port to port. No, these were ships that were driven by wind. And when there was no wind, they didn't go very far. They had the oarsmen in the bottom of the ship that would try and move it. So this is a great and long distance. Once they landed on land, he didn't go to the local tourist office and rent a car nor jump in a nice air-conditioned cruise bus. No, most of that travel was by foot this entire time. His second missionary journey was three to four years as they covered well over 3,400 miles. Again, of bringing the gospel and ministering to these different communities. His third missionary journey brought him again well over 3,400 miles in a time frame of between four to five years. And some of that time, uh, he actually spent up to a year and a half at some of the places. So again, as he's traveling, you need to understand the inconvenience of traveling those days, and yet the enormity of the task that was upon Paul to take the gospel to where it had never been heard. And he was willing to suffer through that on these missionary journeys of being stoned, of being imprisoned, of being whipped, of being uh, uh, fearful for his life on a continual basis, being imprisoned and being thrown into an area where they let loose wild animals at him. All of these things that Paul suffered, shipwrecked and being going without food for times, being, uh, uh, again, open to the elements and the weather, all of these things, because he got paid so good? No, because he had a burning heart's desire to share the gospel with a lost and dying world around him. He says, I don't need to give it where it's already been given. I want to take it to where it's not been given. I want to spread out the truth of the gospel. Well, all of these, all three of these journeys, primarily they took place just on the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea, all of those journeys. But yet Paul also had it as a heart's desire to leave even beyond that and go even further. And he told the church at Rome, he says, I'm going to go to Spain, and on my way to Spain, I'll stop by and visit you guys. I'll be refreshed by you guys. We'll be encouraged by each other. He never made this fourth missionary journey, but he did make it to Rome, but not in the way that he had hoped to make it. He made it in chains as they arrested him and put him again imprisoned there in Rome. And finally, he lost his life. Never made it to Spain, but Paul had every heart's intention to make that journey one way, almost 3,800 miles one way, and it would have been a round trip for him. It didn't matter to Paul because he knew the importance of getting the gospel out. He didn't matter the inconvenience or the struggle or the attack of the enemy. He knew the importance of getting the gospel out. Let me ask you, how much does it matter to you and how inconvenient is it to you to walk across the street to share the truth of the gospel with a neighbor? 
or to speak to the person that's working next to you or that family member that you've known all of your life to face the inconvenience, to face persecution, to face trials because you dare would speak the name of Jesus. Paul understood the importance of the task of the matter at hand. And so he moved. He continued to press out. He continued to lay his life on the lines. I believe that's why in verse 30 through 32, he writes these things. He says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. It's interesting. Paul himself, he says, I beg you, pray for me. As a matter of fact, not just pray. He uses the word, he says, to strive with me there in verse 30, to strive together in prayer striving together with me in prayers to God for me. Paul knew that he needed the prayers of the people. You might say, well, that's the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's like, he's like right there. I mean, why would he need prayers? I mean, I could understand these guys need prayers, somebody else needs prayers. But that's the Apostle Paul. Paul knew that the battle was so severe and so intense, he needed the prayers of brothers and sisters in Christ. Just like Pastor Robert needs our prayers, just like Pastor James needs our prayers, just like Pastor David needs your prayers. We need your prayers. We literally survive on the prayers of the faithful, the faithful prayers of the church as they, again, surround us in your, in your prayers. The fact that you pray for us, gives us great encouragement. But not only encouragement mentally of knowing that you're praying for us, but I believe that the very forces of hell are kept at bay because of the faithfulness of the prayers of you as believers for those that God has placed in leadership positions. This word that he uses, strive together, it's very interesting. It, it, the, the root of that word strive is agon. We get the word agony or agonize. It's the same word that the writer of Hebrews uses in Hebrews 12:1, when he says that whereby we are encompassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight that does easily beset and every sin that does easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us, the agon that is set before us. That our walk, our journey in the Lord, there is a race before us. And when you think of it with that word agon or agonize or agony, you suddenly realize, yes, that is our life in Christ as we press against every wall, every attack of the enemy. This word isn't just agon, but added to that word is the ending, agonatsomai, Agonetsomai. And again, in that whole idea, agonetsomai, is the fact that there is a force out there that we are battling together. The agony or the race isn't the battle, the, the strife, the struggle isn't just against one, but no, there is a force, there is a group that you are battling against. And then lastly, he adds the prefix sun. Sun agonetsomai. The idea with sun is together 
we're going to come to battle that battle that's out there. It's the idea that without the together, without the team effort, it brings one person against a team. No one player is going to go down to South Africa during the World Cup playoffs and try and play an entire team. But yet there are many Christians that feel, you know what, I can do this on my own. I don't need to be a part of a church family. I don't have to have a church home. I'm I'm pretty well kind of a, a freelance Christian and I just kind of float around. No, you need a church home. You need folks that know you, that are praying for you, that are encouraging you. Because we need a team effort against the impact and the efforts of the enemy to destroy us none of us even if we are equipped with all the gear are going to go out on a football field with just the gear just one person against an enemy or against an opposing team that's going to come against us no we need the rest of the players and just like you and i we need all of us striving together in prayer praying for one another, encouraging one another. What are the things that Paul is asking them to pray for? First of all, he says, pray for me for deliverance, because I'm going to go into the enemy's territory. The Jews in Judea were looking to kill Paul every chance that they had, to imprison him, to do him harm. He says, pray for me, please, that there would be deliverance for me. And every one of our lives, you need to understand, if you haven't figured it out yet as a believer, that there is a multitude of enemies that are coming against you, that would love to destroy you, that would love to re-imprison you, that would love to be able to, again, knock you off balance, to discourage you. You and I need to be praying for each other, that, again, we might be delivered from those that would try to destroy us in our faith. Secondly, he says, pray for an acceptance. That acceptance was a bringing of that gift to the Jerusalem church, this gift of the Gentiles coming to the Jerusalem church. And part of that, I believe, speaks to us today that there would be an acceptance, a coming together, a fellowship together of believers in these last days. And I'm not talking about um, um, ecumenicalism. I'm not talking about a one-world kind of a church. I'm not talking about that at all. But I'm talking about other brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ that we need to be encouraging to them. And we need to, rather than battling and fighting our brothers and sisters of another denomination, if they are still speaking the truth, rather it not be the same kind of administration of their churches, rather their worship is a little bit different, those are small non-essentials, beloved. But we are in a battle for the hearts and the souls and the lives, for eternity, for men and women. And if the family of God in our little factions continue to battle each other, we're not making any kind of impact in the lost and dying world. You and I need to understand that, man, there needs to be the sweetness of a fellowship together. Hey, I don't agree about the government of your church. I don't necessarily enjoy your worship service. Those are that's nothing if they have the same foundation of faith in the lord jesus christ that you and i have they are our brothers and sisters and we need to again be an encouragement to them they an encouragement to us thirdly that i might come with joy by the will of god how much we need that joy and as i shared earlier we don't have the right to be, grunt, uh, to be grumblers and complainers and grouchy. We need to come with joy. 
Paul says that I might come with joy because there's not a battle that's going on, that there is a sweetness of a fellowship together, the sweetness of the fellowship of like-minded believers together. And that's why he's going to be refreshed. Pray that I might come in refreshed and be refreshed. I need refreshing on a continual basis. Every pastor, every leader, every Sunday school teacher needs refreshing on a regular basis. Every believer needs a refreshing on a continual basis. Because if you are a believer and if you're growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in a battle on a continual basis. He ends it up, now may the God of peace be with you all. And what a great closing that is. May the God of peace be with you all. And the only way that that God of peace can be with you all is at first you know him through the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, again, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word teachings are always available to you free of charge, if you'd like to help support this ministry, simply log on to our homepage at TheOpenWord.com and click on the support link to make a secure donation to this teaching ministry. Your donation can be set up as a one-time or regularly scheduled tax-deductible gift to this ministry. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.